0: We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, so this is, if you kind of break them down into the sections that we have, this is kind of the final section of this letter, 10 through 13. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, I'd love to kind of hear just uh, some of what you all shared about Wednesday. What were some thoughts about, sounds like you, you kind of recapped the whole letter and you talked about different sections. Um, what were some things that, that were particularly helpful for you? during the discussion on Wednesday. I've already been told that all the hard questions were saved for me today. (laughs) What do you guys think? Please. Mm-hmm. yeah I really love that breakdown Tony um, the power of Christianity is not in wonders but in weakness and a lot of these uh, come from chapter 12 which we'll get to um, the signs of Christianity are not in miracles performed but in lives changed the reward of Christianity is not the purse but the people it sounds like that's what you were talking about right the cost of Christianity is not in monies given, but lives spent. When he says in chapter 12 and verse 15, I would most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Um, and that should be the attitude that we have for, for all of us, right? We're, we should be willing to use ourselves up uh, for our brothers and sisters. So that when we see a need, whether it's financial, whether it's what, whatever it is, that we would be willing to, to spend ourselves. Yeah. What else? Clearly, cool. a very thorough job.
1: <laughs> no, no I want you to say something? She's trying to check one two. Yep,
0: yep. one, two, one, two. Here I am. Cool. She has my voice inside her head. I'm so sorry about that. Let's go ahead then. Um, if I can have a volunteer to read chapter 10 in its entirety, and we're going to talk about what this section is about and then uh, about this chapter. But before we do that, let's just read the thing in its entirety. So, who would be willing to do that for us? Read chapter 10. Uh, Jesse? Thank you. <coughs>
2: consider us to be behaving according to human standards. But though we live as human beings, we do not wait war according to human standards, for the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. We are also ready to punish every act of disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at outward appearances. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should reflect on this again. Just as he himself belongs to Christ, so too do we. For if I, for if I boast somewhat more about our authority that the Lord gave us for building you up and not tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of doing so. Let it is not to seem as though I am trying to terrify you with letters. Because some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but his physical presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person consider this. What we say by letters when we are absent, we also are in actions when we are present. For we would not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who recommend for themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves, and compare themselves with themselves, They are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond certain limits, but will confine our boasting according to the limits of the work to which God has appointed us that reaches even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we do not reach as far as you. Because we were the first to reach as far as you with the gospel about Christ. Nor do we boast beyond certain limits in the work done by others, but we hope that as your faith continues to grow, our work may be greatly expanded among you according to our limits, so that we may preach the gospel in the regions that lie beyond you and not boast to the work already done in another person's area. But the one who boasts must boast in the Lord, for it is not the person who commends himself who is approved, but the person the Lord commends.
0: Thank you, Jesse. So, chapters 10, 11, and 12, if you were to kind of summarize what this section is dealing with, what, what's its main theme and, and purpose, what would you say? Paul's authority and apostleship. Paul's authority and apostleship. Okay? And, and we've talked about this quite a bit. Why finish his letter this way? Because Paul just really wants people to know how awesome, how important he is. Bob? Um.
3: Because there's been so many claims against that. Right. Uh, and he kind of brings up those who boast themselves and, uh, you know, have, are their own credentials you know that... Uh, And so he has to defend himself and prove that uh, those that are saying likewise have different motives.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate, Paul, this has come up before in the letter, right? This is not new, but he spends the most time in the next few chapters doing this. If it were me, I would probably say, if, if people were attacking, you know, Attacking me personally, making claims that I knew were not true about me. That's probably what I would spend the first part of the letter on. I'm going to defend myself. How dare you? Let me tell you all the reasons why I've got the authority. I would start the letter with that, but that's not really what Paul has done. I mean, Paul just got finished with this really encouraging section where, yeah, he's got to address the fact that they're, they're slacking off on something they had promised to do, but throughout it he's saying, I've got great confidence in you. Your example has been an encouragement to people all over, this giving that, that you promised to do. Finish it up, because think of the great things that will be accomplished that way. He's just finished this section, um, and now he's switching over. Now he's, he's not going to finish the letter without addressing very, very plainly some of the things that have been leveled against him. But I appreciate, Paul, uh, that he doesn't start it about himself. Clearly, this is not about himself. Did I see a hand over here? Misha? Okay. me we could camp. <laughs> um, Sorry.
1: No, I, I agree. I think that's the beauty of the way he addresses it. He puts God first, where yes. it should be, and then he says, Oh, by the way, since you're being silly, let me go ahead and I prove who I am. Yeah. Um, and it, that would be stark contrast to the people that he's defending himself against that are boasting
0: by themselves. Right. Yeah, I appreciate it. He, They are being rather silly, aren't they? Um, and and I, I almost hear it, at, you think of this group, this church at, at Corinth, he doesn't lump them all together sometimes by saying, these individuals are doing these things, therefore you're all guilty. No, he, he, he very often distinguishes those who are causing these divisions, those who are causing these problems, and the effect that it's having on the whole. But he has just finished commending the whole for what they've been doing and what they promised to do and the repentance that they showed, their godly sorrow and what it produced. And now it does seem that he's stepping over and saying, Now, to those of you who have been divisive, to those of you who have been speaking against my character, to those of you who have been causing problems in this church, let's talk about some of these things. Um, Yeah
4: in three through seven, just his talk about spiritual
0: warfare. Yes. If this is not about this. Yes. Yeah, there is, this is much bigger than that. And so not only is the warfare not spiritual, but the tactics in which we operate in this warfare are not the tactics that the world would use, right? Not just we don't use physical weapons, but we also, and we'll get into this a little bit more, we don't use the human reasoning and rationale, the tactics that debaters of this age might use. We're using different spiritual tactics,
5: yeah.
4: I guess my favorite verse in this whole thing that's both sides of it, it depends on his age. He said, Well, even if I go somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not tearing you down, so he's trying to get through to them and explain to them that this isn't a dictator, authoritative yep. type authority. It's the authority for us to, what we're saying to you, is meant to build you up, not tear you down. Yeah. And if every one of us could do that, as if we could keep that verse in mind every time we talk to somebody or confront somebody to build them up and not tear them down. We would tell them the truth, but it would be in the sense of you need this to build your life. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And that is the sign of a good leader. A leader who they're doing things for those under their charge for their good. Not for their own personal good, but for the good of the people who are in their charge. Yeah, Jesse.
2: I had a question about verse six, when he says being ready to punish your disobedience when your obedience is complete. The way that I read that, I don't know if it's accurate, but it seems like he's waiting really to punish until it's only absolutely necessary. Is that what other people are doing for this? Why he adds that caveat or is there something else to think about?
0: Yes, and I, I'm obviously, would. Would love to hear others' thoughts um, from from my reading and, and from those that have written about this. He still expects them, to, expects them to repent and to obey him in some of the things that he's talked about. You know, he just finished talking about this giving thing that he promised. He promised to do that a year ago. I need you to obey. I need you to finish that work. There are other things that he's uh, commanded them to do, instructed them to do, and he wants them to do that. So that when they've obeyed, when he comes, he doesn't need to address them or be bold or harsh with them. He'll just be bold and harsh with those who are causing division. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm interested to hear Yeah, Alan.
1: Verse 4 talks about tearing down of strongholds. Yes. You know, we have strongholds in our lives. But those are our middle mindsets that hinder the proclamation of the gospel or the furtherance of the gospel so what he's saying is we, have, we must tear down these strongholds these preconceived ideas these middle blocks mm-hmm. and focus on what's important and you uh, can talk about what the strongholds are what are they in our lives what mm-hmm. are some of those things they're almost idolatrous you know what are the strongholds of our lives that are keeping us from being all of them?
0: Absolutely. And let's, let's definitely talk about that. Tommy?
6: Yeah, so when we talked about being, uh, being, punished, being ready to punish disobedience, whether it's Paul or God that is going to be doing that, and when their obedience is fulfilled, that Paul doesn't have to go and do that, they will do it themselves. But they will rid themselves of this plague, basically. Yes fulfilling the things that he has told them to do. And so, yeah. it'll, it'll write itself once they finally start doing one. Paul's directing them to do the first book.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly right. So in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, there's a man who's living in adultery, and Paul doesn't say, I'm going to come in there and get him out of there. He instructs them to do it, right? You, when you are assembled together deliver this man so and so he, he's expecting them to govern themselves and do what's right now he does have the authority and he says he plans on doing it coming to them and prompting them encouraging them to follow through um, but yes he absolutely wants them look recognize the plague that is among you these divisive teachers are not only discounting Paul's authority, but they are teaching things contrary to Christ. In chapter 11, he calls it a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And he said, You, you guys can't let these people keep doing that. You can't let them stay if they're going to keep doing that. Um, and he expects them to, to obey. Let's kind of go back at, at, at the beginning. Let's take the first six verses. Um, what was Paul trying to help the Corinthians avoid? And we've talked about it a little bit. What's he trying to help them avoid? And how can they accomplish this? What does Paul not want to see happen? Bummer.
3: What he doesn't want to see happen is if he has to go there and be bold with them. mm mm-hmm. He would rather be, uh, how did he work, meek with them and gentle when he sees them face to face. Uh, You know, so he's hoping that they take what he has written in both of these epistles and apply them, so that when he gets there, he does not have to be bold. He does not have
0: to uh, rebuke them in this way. He doesn't want to do that. Right. He will if he has
3: to, but he doesn't want to.
0: Parents, have we had this feeling with our kids? We can see them. They're on a path, and we're thinking, "Oh, if you you keep going, one, you're probably going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else, and I don't want to see that happen. But two, uh, I've already given you the instruction. I've told you what the punishment will be if you continue, and I don't want to have to do that. And so we urge our children, we beg them, using words that Paul is using, using here, don't, don't go that way, don't touch that thing, don't, don't do those things, I don't want to have to discipline. And sometimes sometimes that's the role of a parent, because we love them, we warn them, but then if necessary, if they still choose to do the thing, we, we have to be willing uh, to discipline. And Paul doesn't want, Paul doesn't want to. Um, what are, this is not a question I sent in the email, but let's see if we can identify them. He gets pretty specific about some of the things that have been leveled against him in this chapter. He, he actually quotes one, maybe even two, of the things that they're saying about him. And, and, and they're in these first six verses. What are some of the things that have been leveled against Paul? Criticism. <coughs>
7: in verse one uh that he is humble when face to face but bold when away. so not consistent or yeah. Um,
0: yeah and that word humble usually when we use that word it's in a positive connotation right uh, it's someone full of humility they're not trying to draw attention to themselves they are they're not proud um humble here uh, this word carries with it this it's kind of used in a derogatory. He's kind of weak and pathetic. So he's, he's, he's kind of humble when he's face-to-face with you, but his letters, he gets exceptionally bold. Have we encountered people like that? Sometimes we've been people like that. Face-to-face with you, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be very aggressive or bold, but on social media, I'm going to let you have it. Or in a text message, Right? And that's what they're accusing Paul of. They're saying, oh, he, he gets really fired up in his letters, but face to face, he's really nothing impressive. He's, he's really kind of pathetic. Bum. Oh, I'm sorry, i Lisa. Lisa, you've already got a mic. Go for it.
5: Um, in verse 2, he says that um, they've been
4: accused of walking according to the flesh.
0: Yes, what does that mean? There are those, some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. What is that? I don't know if that's you were going to speak
3: to that, Bob, or if that's something else. Well, I was going to point out that uh, in verse, uh, verse 1, the uh, I, who, and meek, technical knowledge, or who lack confidence. Paul lacking confidence. You know, almost have to chuckle at that idea, because he's one of the most confident people that's ever been described in the Bible other than Jesus.
0: Right, and yet, I don't think he's lying, and I don't think he, you know, he had every right to be the kind of person to say, look who I am, do you realize who I am? I mean, think of who I was trained by, Paul could have said. I was a Pharisee among Pharisees, listen, listen, and yet, we we know that was not his style. He came in meekness and gentleness, he said earlier in the letter, I came to you in, in tears, right, and in weakness. That Paul chose to uh, forego the, the accreditation he could have taken on himself for their benefit. He made himself as nothing. Sound familiar? So as not to be a distraction to what he was trying to do.
3: And in answer to the second part about uh, uh, this translation, says, Behaving according to human standards. Christians don't behave according to human standards or shouldn't, right? Because the human standards are wrong,
0: right? And,
3: and so that's why that's being charged against Paul, uh, along with all the false things that are being said. I don't think there's any ground to his doing stuff by human standards, because it's completely contrary to human standards. His life and, and, and the teaching that he brings, brought uh, concerning Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. Uh, he kind of puts that out there in verse two. And it, it's almost like, yeah, okay, I'll wear that. I'll wear that badge. All right. I don't operate. I don't operate uh, the way that the world operates. And I'm, I'm glad to say that.
4: Yeah. I guess I'm going to build a little bit on what Stephanie said because he, he says that we walk through the flesh to do not war according to the flesh. So we're also called that. We're not fighting flesh, but we're fighting against the powers, the principalities, and the darkness. Mm -hmm. So we're fighting spiritual wars. We're also told in Colossians 1 27, I think, that our hope of glory is Christ in us. So if we do everything by the flesh without Christ living in us and coming forth out of us, then we're going to lose our hope of glory. Right. And so it, it is a spiritual battle. That's it, right. It's not, I mean, Satan knows. I don't think Satan knows our minds, but I think he knows our actions. And I think he's there every time he spots one of your weaknesses. He's there to throw in front of you. And I don't think we give him enough credit. I'm Certainly he isn't above God. He doesn't have the power of God. But we need to give him the credit that he deserves or we will never learn to fight him or fill ourselves up with Christ. And we will lose our cup of glory.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So that concept, that analogy of warfare, it's not exclusive here to, to Corinthians. Paul uses it numerous times. Um, I especially love what he talks about in Ephesians, Right. Uh, We are going to spiritual war, but there's a type of armor that we're supposed to put on when we go to battle. And without it, we will be defenseless. Without it, we are wholly unprepared. So this battle, this warfare that we are engaged in, we're not going to use the tools and the tactics that the world uses. What are some of the tactics that he says we should be using, specifically here? And where do they come from? Like, where, where do they come from? Where does the power come from? Alan, behind you, and then Micah.
1: Well, the power comes from God, but uh, we are given the responsibility, as Jeremiah was. I, I noticed there, Jeremiah 1, 10, See, I have sent you this day over nations over kingdoms to pluck up to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, to plant. The spoken word can do that. It can build, it can plant, it can pluck up, it can break down. (coughs) And that is our responsibility. And we're not to start seeing ourselves or others as, you know, highfalutin or something, and, and, you know, we are to simply be bold and break things down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Micah. No, no, So what does that, what does that mean? Let's, let's go into that a little bit. Verse 4. We have divine power. You're absolutely right. The power is not mine. The power is not yours. It's God's. And he's given it to us. He's put it inside of us. Right. We are bearing the banner of Christ. And it's in order to destroy strongholds. Verse 5. To destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let's dive into that a little bit, but before we do, I think we've got, yep. So,
6: what's the name of the Every Moment. So, one of our favorite passages. The point of that is that the way that God wages war is through peace and patience and kindness and love and brotherly kindness. Wait, so that the human standard is to go yell at people. The godly standard is to make a compelling line. And then hopefully people will follow you. That's, that's humility. That's the proper ordering of a person's life within the order of creation. We're not angels, neither are we animals. So I always wonder when Paul says, don't become in boldness. Paul's boldness in the past was getting beat up because he lived a concurrent life. And I'm wondering if he's asking. the thing that Paul's going to go down.
0: Yeah, I, I think certainly Paul instructed through his own life. Uh, his own example was a testament, and and called people out what he allowed to happen to him. Um, but I also see I also see Paul in his evangelistic efforts when he encountered people like Bar Jesus, someone who was directly in opposition to the spreading of the gospel, and and Paul. Minces no words with that man. In fact, he even calls down upon him that blindness, blindness should strike him because he is in, in opposition to the spread of the gospel. Um, I see Jesus flipping tables and I see Jesus talking to the Pharisees in a bold kind of way. But we also know who Jesus was. Jesus was a person of love and grace and peace. And he spoke that way. Even, even when harsh words needed to be used, love was at the forefront of that. It was behind it. It was motivating it. Um, I don't necessarily read that Paul was planning to come and yell at them. But Paul, Paul very clearly says um, in, ver- in chapter 13, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but he's powerful among you. Uh, I, don't, I don't see Paul coming in hate or in aggression, I see Paul coming in love. But speaking the truth, and sometimes the truth steps on our toes. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. Um, but the truth also sometimes needs to, con- needs to confront evil for what it is and sin for what it is. And that's that's what he, he's recognizing in in these individuals. Um, I'm sorry. Yes.
3: Yes. And we can't be speaking one thing and thinking something else. Mm
0: -hmm. We have to bring
6: every thought
4: in captivity. Yes. In God.
0: Yes, he says, yeah, take every thought captive in order to, to obey Christ. Right? I can't truly show love towards someone if I'm not thinking loving thoughts towards someone. If there's bitterness in there, I'm not really going to manifest the, the fruit of the spirit of love towards that person. So I've, I've got to take those thoughts captive. It, again, it's more warfare analogy here, right? I'm going to take them captive. They are now under my control. And we know that we do that through the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit that's in us, so that those things would then motivate how I treat other people. Yes, sir?
6: It seems to me that is that the war that's going on that Paul is describing, Is this, this is in each of us.
1: And it's not just what you say, but how you say it. Mm-hmm.
6: With the manner in which you're saying. And Paul had wrestled with that And said it in a very loving way and that he was being attacked with
0: mm-hmm. that.
6: Yeah. Like when you're preaching or teaching the word. It's not just... Saying, I mean, you can say it
0: in a way that conveys the wrong idea. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I don't do that perfectly. We, we've got to, and again, it comes back to taking captive the thoughts so that when the words come out, the tone is is one of love and grace. And sometimes the words are going to be hard. We're going to have to speak the truth but we've got to make sure that it's done in love. And I see that with Jesus. I even see that when we've got chapters where he is criticizing the Pharisees. He is is letting them have it. But I know Jesus, because earlier in his gospel, we see the kind of heart, how he interacted with others. We see later in his gospel what he was willing to do, die on a cross for enemies, so that when I do hear harsh words come from Jesus, I know that it's, it's, it's come with a, a, from an area of love, Uh ah, Bob?
3: I, I think it's interesting in this section, verses 4 and 5, where he compares what they're doing with what he's doing, basically. Their use of, uh, as it says, we tear down arguments, uh, technically known, speculations, uh, and every arrogant obstacle And what does he fight with those Uh, that is raised up against the knowledge of God? So there's what the people think, what some, you know, and Aristotle that way. Well, they'll do it their way. And Paul said, no, we do it God's way. Mm -hmm. We do it Christ's way. That's what we're battling against. The notion that there's another way. The notion that it should be done some different way. Paul says, no. We do it according to the knowledge of God. That's our warfare. Mm-hmm. We don't have uh, spears and swords and, and any of that. What do we have? What's God doing? words?
0: That's right.
3: So we tear down arguments. We discuss them. We, we then push them aside. And keep what
0: is right according to God's knowledge. Right. And I don't use my own words to do that. And I don't use words written by other humans to do that. Um, <laughs> we finished up the book of Acts with our kids last night. And uh, so Paul has finally arrived in Rome. He's uh, granted some freedom. And uh, he, he invites all the kind of Jews in that area... To come, and in verse 23 of Acts 28, it says, When they came in great numbers from morning till evening, and Avery kind of went, Oh, did they eat? From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. What kind of words did Paul use to break down arguments? To prove that Jesus really was the Christ, he went to the words of God. And he said, look, it's here. Moses talked about the Messiah. This is what he would look like. The prophets prophesied that he would come and, and, and do this and be this way. Um, so if I'm using primarily worldly logical arguments to prove my point, I think I'm using weapons uh, that I, I shouldn't be <laughs> I should be able to open this book and use his words. These are the weapons that we have. And it, and it should be adequate. Yeah, Tim.
5: I, I really view this as a very, I think it's already been said, very personal type of lore. I mean we can only control our own thoughts. We can't control somebody else's thoughts. Okay. Those strongholds that we're
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I thank you for bringing that out. I think uh, a lot of what we've been talking about are breaking down the strongholds in other people. Some of those strongholds are inside ourselves that we've got to tear down, right? Um, one more, and then we're supposed to finish this whole chapter. Uh, we'll try to move on to the second half if we can.
6: just to say, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us an example of spiritual warfare. In verse 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself, Paul had to find that his strength was only his weakness. That he was trusting in himself, and he had seen great things, but that
0: didn't make him. That yeah, that's right. Um, that's absolutely right. In order to even Paul needed help. Right? This thorn in the flesh was actually a help. He needed help to keep him from becoming too conceited about what God had allowed him to, to experience. Um, so he says in verse 7, he says, look at what is before your eyes. I think Jesse's, your translation was, um, you see things in human terms, something like that. Right? He said, you're, you're looking at this the wrong way. Stop looking at this in a physical way, in a a human-to-human kind of way. There's something bigger going on. Look at what is before your eyes. There's there's a, a spiritual battle happening here. And if anyone is confident that he's in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is in Christ, so also are we. He said, listen to what these people are telling you. They're trying to say that Christ is in us, and so we have the authority. He said, well, if you use that same argument, Christ is in us, too. You can't discount us. You can't disregard us. And again, this, it should be a theme verse. I also like verse 18 as a theme verse. But for even if I boast a little too much in our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I'll use the authority if I need to, Paul says, but I'm not doing it to harm you. I'm not doing it to harm you. I'm doing it to, to build you up. Now, sometimes, as he's just finished talking about sometimes in order to build something, we have to tear down what was previously there. We have to clear away that foundation. We've built our lives on something that, that isn't true. We've got to tear that down. And so uh, we can allow God to build something in us. Did I see a hand? Micah?
7: Yeah, the idea of, of waging this spiritual warfare with love, the love of Jesus, um, We've already mentioned that it's it starts with ourself uh, i can't pull down strongholds of the world or of my neighbor or of my brother if i still have strongholds in in myself mm-hmm. it's the whole log and yep. it's bad, uh yep. idea uh, so when we talk about the idea of how we are we're working together and stirring one up, up in meekness as he says in verse 1. Um, meekness doesn't mean that you're avoiding the confrontation. But it also doesn't mean that you're on a witch hunt, seeking it out right. and, 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 and going on full out attack. And so, um, to, to the point that you were just making, um, what we see Paul doing here is is really the same as what Jesus did. He uh, not to destroy, but to build up. But you can't build up without removing. Sin. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. I cannot grow as a Christian with sin. It's it, it's the little level, and, and that's just going to ruin me as as a whole. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. The seed cannot germinate until we remove the weeds, right? There's so many different analogies that that even Jesus himself used. Um, Yep.
4: In verse 6 when he says, whenever your obedience is fulfilled, then he goes, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. So I think when he's saying that you have reached your capacity of faith outwardly, now we have to go inwardly and so, because down in thing, he says, uh, not boasting beyond our measure in other men's labors, but having the hope that as your faith grows. So, there's a point where you reach your capacity with your physical outward thinking, and then he's pushing them on to grow their faith inwardly. It, it, because that's where we all start. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do start out with the physical, fleshly thoughts. It's like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want forgiveness for that. But then it has to grow to hide to be like Christ. So the image of Christ has to be starting to come forward within us. Yeah. And, and I think he's saying, you've reached your capacity. Now we need to push you on to the inward man.
0: Yes, and I appreciate that. So I appreciate the transition. Let's at least try to do 12 through 18 uh, because there's a reason why. There's a reason why he wants their faith to grow. So let's talk about 12 through 18. What does Paul claim to have that those opposed to him do not have? He uses this phrase several different times here. What does he say they they have um,
3: well, I, I was going to point out that they—they they weren't uh, saying things about what he was saying. That's not what they were fighting against. What he had to
0: say—it was more his appearance. Well <laughs> maybe okay, he's a little bit too harsh there. Ah, uh, yes. Uh,
3: you know, they're the criticizing his method and, and what he looked like. Yes. Hearing the message
0: all? Yes. Thank you for bringing that point up. Uh, I'll, I'll just make this comment about that. Thank you. Um, one of the tactics used most often by these divisive individuals in this letter are personal attacks against Paul. Notice that Paul rarely addresses any specific false teaching, at least here, but he has to primarily deal with their attitudes of superiority, self promotion disrespect of those that God has placed in authority, and personal attacks against God's minister, in this case, Paul. They look down on his presentation style and countenance. If we can look beyond the bluster and the volume, it is typically those that resort primarily to personal attacks that have the weakest argument. So if you you can listen to those who are being divisive, and listen to those who are countering God's message, if they aren't really arguing against the substance of the thing, but they are primarily just talking about the individual presenting, they they have the weakest argument. Neither should that be a tactic that we use. If I disagree with someone, I should not make it about them. Right? You spoke this way, and you act this way. No, let, Let's talk about the substance of, of what's being taught. And, and so Paul is constantly having to, to counter these, these personal attacks. The truth can stand up against scrutiny, scrutiny without having to resort to these types of tactics. Let's not do that to each other. I've been guilty of that, certainly. It's, it's something I, I, I believe it's safe to say we all struggle with. Those, those aren't spiritual warfare tactics that, that Christians are called to use. Uh, yeah. Yes. God has assigned to his Yes, thank you for that. So in verses twelve through eighteen, some will say sphere of influence or area of influence. He says, look, I've been given authority by God to preach to people like you, right? On the road to Damascus, Jesus said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for, for Christ's sake. He says in verse 13, we will not boast beyond our limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Remember, Corinthians? You're there as a church because you were part of the area of influence God gave to me. So I came to you and I presented the gospel. He says, we're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that, and this is what we were talking about earlier, right? That as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So the stronger your faith becomes, the more, the more work you do in your local community, the more ministers of Christ will be benefited by you to then move beyond. He says, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in other areas Uh, another's area of influence. He's talking church-wide, and I think there's definitely application. Can Avon be a place where people can come and be encouraged and motivated to then go out and do? We should be. We should be that, that type of a church. In my own individual life, can I be someone that when people encounter me, when people encounter you, that your faith is strong enough, that your work is manifested, that God is seen in you so much that they come away from you going, yeah, let's, I, I can do this. Let's get after this. They are, they are then infused with the Spirit because of their encounter with you, because of their encounter with us. That's what Paul is hoping will become of this Corinthian church. I think we got some hands. Yep.
4: The key to what you just said is verse 12. He says, you dare not compare ourselves. All they've got right now is they're com- we're comparing ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. And when we measure themselves by themselves, we compare themselves with themselves. So all, all they're, they're at the point now where all they're doing is measuring, measuring and comparing themselves with themselves and each other. And so we will never reach the capacity of people seeing Christ in us as long as we're comparing ourselves with each
0: other. Right. When I compare my piano playing ability with Silas, I am super good at piano. And how foolish is that? When I compare my faith and the strength uh, of, of, of my work, when I look at the things that I've done and I compare that with fill-in-the-blank person, that, that's, that's not our gauge. That's not our standard. Who are we to compare ourselves with With Christ? And that then motivates us, it pushes us to go, okay, th- there's more I can do. There's, there's more help I need. There's more grace I need, more strength I need, so that more can be done. I think that was the second bell. It sounds like it was. All right, thank you, guys. Uh, we'll maybe finish up 10 and get into 11 on Wednesday.